Hey, everybody. How you doing? We are going to fly across the pond today. Our guest is joining us live from Australia. Uh, I think it's afternoon there. It's like the day before in our time zone. So that is proof we made it to tomorrow. We are seeing it in the future today, Jake. Like Michael J. Fox and Doc. You know what I mean? We made it. <laughs> time travel. We made it. So today we are going to speak to a very interesting lady. Uh, I want to sort of pick her brain because I've never heard anybody be able to explain sort of consciousness, UAP, the afterlife, and all these little loose ends. I mean, we talked to some pretty brilliant people, but even in our own minds, we're still left with questions like, well, okay, if Jacques Vallée said this, and Gary Nolan said this, and you know, Avi Loeb thinks this, we still have our own opinion, and there's a lot of loose ends, and I think this lady is the perfect person to talk to because she is um, you know, uh, a counselor. She was a medical practitioner, so she has the science mind, but she's also had experiences, and she's helped literally thousands of people with their own crazy uh, I, record. I don't know the number, but I know it's in the thousands. We'll find out. So, uh, and, you know, very well spoken. This is almost like chatting with our mom today. It's it's very interesting. And this lady could kick our butt in terms of knowledge, I'm sure. Absolutely. So, Absolutely. Yeah, let's uh, I'm excited to get her on. We're uh, going back to the future of today's episode of UAP Studies podcast. <laughs> I love that. And we'll yeah. be right back with uh, Mary Rodwell uh, right after the music. Welcome back to another episode of UAP Studies Podcast. My name is Louis Borges. Joining me as always, my good buddy, Jason Gilmet. How's it going, Louis? It's going good. We uh, we made it into the future because we are in Pacific time zone right now. Yep. We are chatting in Australian time zone. So it the future's looking bright. Tomorrow, we are there. So uh, we're excited <laughs> to have our guest uh, join us today from Australia. Uh, this lady is the founder of the Australian Center for UFO Studies. Uh, she's also an acclaimed author. Some of her books are uh, named Awakening and uh, The New Human. Uh, she's also been in a couple of films. Uh, My Mom Talks to Aliens, which is an awesome film we'll get into. Uh, they Are Here and as well as Australian Skies. So uh, she's also going to be presenting uh, this year at the Awakening Expo in Manchester uh, and also a couple other conferences um, that she can bring up later on. So very warm welcome for the first time to our show, Miss Mary Rodwell. Oh, thank you, Louis. Yeah, thanks for uh, joining our show. And uh, you're across the pond and you've been doing this a long time and we know you very well. But a lot of people in North America may not be as familiar with uh, ufology in Australia. You know, it seems mm -hmm. like the U.S. has all the big, you know, articles and uh, pr promotions and productions and all that. But there is quite mm -hmm. a big um, pool of people who have seen. And also, you know, with your uh, Center for UFO Studies, you're directly involved with sort of counseling and helping these people through their experience. So tell us a bit about yourself and uh, what got you into wanting to do this type of work. Well, what led to me um, creating in 1997 the Australian Close Encounter Resource Network was because of a gentleman coming to see me but to get back to where my my roots were i was a um a, you know a registered nurse and midwife um had some babies and then ended up um being trained as a counselor in a medical practice so that took me into the whole counseling field if you like and when i came and migrated to australia 
rather than go back into nursing, I decided I wanted to stay with counselling because it interested me. I always believed prevention was uh, better than cure. And the great thing with counselling is it often helps to prevent people becoming unwell because of um, their psychological issues or emotional issues. From that, I did grief and bereavement, looking after you know family issues, all this kind of thing, but got was getting more and more intrigued by the non-physical world, you know, the um, spiritual dimensions, simply because, you know, things like working with people who are dying. One of the things they always ask you is, do you think there's life after death? You know, because they may be looking at their own mortality, for example. And it was something that I've always been interested in is what happens after death, you know, um, and religion has one answer and metaphysics has another. And I got intrigued with things like reincarnation, et cetera, et cetera. This led me to my own personal journey into exploring all of that um, in terms of uh, research, etc. And also people's personal experiences. They would come to me sometimes and they would mention unusual things, like they would mention that, that you know, the spirit of their dad was contacting them and helping them or whatever. And it often seemed very, very positive and very helpful. And certainly for me gave more evidence that there was life after death. What led me into the extraterrestrial, non-human side of, of this was really because as I'm exploring all of this, I become a clinical hypnotherapist. I'm taking people into past lives and um, actually realizing um, that they have other incarnations and taking through the death sequence where they would see themselves as spirit and choosing another life, etc. This was really where I was at when the first gentleman that ever came to me, Ellis Taylor, who's the author himself now of four books, came to me and said, uh, Mary, there's no support groups for this. For this, people think you're just crazy. Um, you're just a loony. And he said, but it's happening to me. It's happening to my partner. It's happening to my kids. Um, they're, you know, they're seeing, he said, I wake up with marks on my body, shaved areas, et cetera, et cetera. He says, but there's no, there's no one to help. I've heard you're open-minded. Can you help? And it was more for his partner than for himself. He seemed pretty okay with it. And what struck me with Ellis was he was very grounded, very articulate. There was no, you know, there was nothing to suggest anything other than this was his real experience. And fortunately, synchronously, as it always seems to happen, only a few weeks before I'd read two books. One was by Whitley Strieber. We mentioned Whitley Strieber and the book Communion, I picked that up and thought, this looks interesting. Um, and Dr. John Mack's book, Abduction, Human Encounters with Aliens. So here I had two books that I think prepared me for Ellis, bottom line, because he is a professor of psychiatry at Harvard University, saying he believes those that he's worked with are having a real experience. And you've got Whitley Strieber, who was an experiencer, saying that's how it was for him. So with that as my baseline, I was then looking at how can I support Ellis? And the interesting thing was I was doing advanced counselling at the time, took his case because it was so different, unusual, to uh, supervision with others that were in the group, psychologists, uniting minister, there was um, social workers, a whole range of professionals, because I wanted to know what they thought. Do they think Ellis was fantasising? or, you know, had some other illness, mental illness, or was, did they believe him? The fascinating thing with this, Lewis, was this. 
that when I sort of wanted their feedback, all of them seemed to have an experience that was um, out of the, uh, you know, out of the box, as it were. Some said, oh, I, I remember being in a haunted house. Oh, I saw a spirit once or something else. So what it had done is open this uh, Pandora's box of them and their experiences and how they had always wondered about it. So instead of saying, well, I think this guy's crazy, <laughs> which half of me expected, they were actually saying, you know, I've had some really weird experiences. And that intrigued me. But could I get any um, real understanding other than I realized that Dr. John Mack had his own center for studies, the peer group at the time. So that was one of the ways of, of getting information. But the rest of it really came from the fact that once I started on this trajectory, as it seems to happen in the universe, more and more people contact you. Within two weeks of Ellis, another lady came up to me and said, I think I've got these beings around me and they visit me and I've never felt right and what have you. That led to me meeting a social worker that had experiences. And, and she said, everyone will think I'm crazy. And she said, I was seeing these three what looked like strange beings in my lounge room thinking I've definitely lost the plot. This is a social worker. Um, someone knocked on the door who was a friend, came in and said to her, do you realize that you've got three strange beings in your lounge room? Because she could see them as well. She joined me for a while. So what we did was we started the first abduction support group in Perth, Western Australia, and 12 people turned up. And that was the very first one. And I'm thinking 12 people. What are the odds? Not just two or three, but 12. That, of course, has exploded. And since then, over 25 plus years, I've worked with about three and a half thousand families, children, um, right across the, the globe, from Hungary to Uruguay to Africa, all ages, all cultures, all belief systems, all different kinds of uh, uh, professions and what have you, it doesn't matter what you originally believe. When you get this happening to you, whether you believe it or not, it will happen. And this, a lot of people, it's not about belief. It's actually because of what they've experienced. And that I really want to say is really vital here because they say, oh, well, you want, you know, you watch Star Trek, so you've always wanted to believe in this kind of thing. Well, actually, many of them have never watched Star Trek. I've not been in the slightest interested in sci-fi. And they're saying, but there are beings coming into my bedroom at night they look like this and what was fascinating to me when you you asked the question regarding all of this it's been a process of seeing the evidence with multiple people uh, with multiple of the same kinds of patterns of experience many of them have never read a book or been in the slightest interested so in itself gives it huge credibility you know that's um one of the questions actually that I had written down to ask you is just about the variety of people that get taken. You know, you got judges, uh, you know, executive producers in Hollywood. Uh, you got, you know, people, law enforcement, the Department of Defense, for crying out loud. How many people have we talked to, Louis, that are part of the defense of the United States that have had experiences? And just the, and it doesn't, like you mentioned, doesn't matter about your creed your race, your religion, your beliefs, how you self-identify, it has nothing to do with any of that. That's all human stuff. 
if they have some sort of interest in you for whatever reason, that's it. You're you're just one of the selected. And it do you have you found a pattern of how these people are selected, or is it just so random that we can't figure that out? It's a very good question, Jason. Um, um, what I've been looking at is common links between people. First of all, I have noticed an intergenerational link. And that means that if someone's having experiences, it's quite possible that one or both of their parents have had some form of experiences. Grandparents, they, I'll often say, you know, did you, was there anything unusual about your grandparents or did they ever talk about anything like this? And they'll often say, well, granddad was always interested in UFOs or something or other. I thought, well, there's your link. Um, because often they are a lot more open to multidimensional experiences and it runs right through to the, the children themselves. What has fascinated me and why I wrote The New Human is because what I noticed was that each generation seemed to have more awareness than the previous generation of what was going on. Um, often in the older generations, this was never talked about. People would think you're crazy, schizophrenic or whatever. So, you know, I talked to an 80 year old and they would say, we could never talk about this because, you know, I would be put in a home or I would be put in a psychiatric, you know, unit or whatever. Um, it didn't mean it, they weren't having, you know, an amazing amount of experiences, but the ones that have been able to be more open, there seems to be more and more awareness, multidimensional awareness, and particularly with the children who um, are able to articulate a, a range of things. But the interesting thing with this is the, the one clear thing is that they're all usually very psychic, very intuitive. They, um, you know, some of them may see orbs of light or they may see craft or they see energy, um, these kinds of things, or get precognition where they're aware of events before they happen, for example. So all of these kind of psychic things that, we, well, we call them psychic, I think we're all intuitive, but they seem to have it in a more exaggerated um, way, which, um, which can, for some of them, be very, very confronting, especially if they're a professional where um, they're looking into, you know, what is what is um, credible and not credible and what is logical and analytical and what is this weird stuff that you're experiencing. It's much harder often for professionals because they have the conflict of an education that says um, that you're you can only experience things from your five senses. You can't get other things happen like yeah. you know, consciousness going somewhere else or going out of body or astral traveling. That's not OK. You know, so they usually have a harder time of it than your average Joe Blow. I think fear of judgment is very prominent in a lot of abduction cases or just people who see things, you know, like you've said, they're, they're scared, their friends or family are going to think they're nuts. And I think it was cool. You had a unique experience to make a film, uh, you know, called My Mum Sees Aliens. And, or my mom talks to aliens, forgive me. And it's with you and your son, who's a healthy skeptic. He's a veterinarian, so a doctor, yeah. a science-minded person. And yeah. uh, it's of you know him trying to understand how his mom could possibly talk to aliens. So maybe talk a little bit about that. You know, why did you do the film, and maybe some of the highlights from that film? Well, my mom talks to aliens was came through a producer that knew my son because my son had been on television as a vet for right. about, about a year and program. He also knew of me because I'd had various newspaper interviews, radio and whatever, and knew that I had this interesting um, job as it were, supporting people with experiences. 
Um, and so he he proposed that Chris could be, if you like, the skeptic, and that we would I would go and show him some of the things that are compelling about making this a, as a reality. And the re the reason that it was important for me to do it was not so much convincing my son as on getting an understanding that many families have this problem where someone's having experiences and even their partner can't ca cope with it or their wife or husband can't cope with it. And the family just, you know, say, we don't want to hear it. It's crazy talk or whatever. So my purpose of doing it was to show the conflict that can occur when you have two different experiences or belief systems around, um, and this happens in many families, we've seen it echoed in so many ways in different, um, in the recent times, haven't we, where you get certain members of the family that believe one thing and, and others another. What was important with doing that was to highlight it and to show that you can work through it, you can find ways through it, because even though Chris all the way through said he's, he's still very unsure about all of that, he honored the fact that it was I was helping people. And that's what he always said is it's you're helping people, mum, and that's the most important thing. Mm -hmm. um, and, and my job for doing it, apart from that, was education. There are millions of people, billions possibly, that are having this experience. And many of them are too afraid to ever mention it, not only in their family, but in any kind of context. And how lonely that is how lonely that is. I was talking to a lady in Norway when I did a conference there. She was. Um, she told me she was 79 years old. And I I'd given all the qualities of, you know, encounters and what have you. And she said, everything that you've spoken about, I've experienced all my life. She said, I used to call the sheep in with my mind and nobody knew how I did it. And she said to me, I've never been able to talk about it. Almost 80 years old, she'd kept this to herself for that length of time. I'm meeting people in of all ages saying they've never been able to feel safe to talk about it. So the real uh, impact of this is really hard to measure because so many people are afraid to come out and, and say this is their experience or whatever. So it could be not just millions, it could be billions as far as I know that are having this, but not talking about it, or it's seen as a cultural problem in the sense that Culturally, they may um, interpret it in different ways. To give you an example of this, um, I, one of the stories in my book, The New Human, is, is an, um, an Indian, young Indian adult who wrote to me and told me that his um, he was a starseed. That's his name for himself. He said, and I know that these extraterrestrials, um, that, that these are extraterrestrials. He said, but lots of my um, countrymen, and family worship we've got about 100 gods he said but as far as i'm concerned they're all extraterrestrial and they're worshiping them but i can't tell them that they're extraterrestrials because they still believe they're gods he said i you know where do i go with that yeah. because his own innate understanding of himself that's just one example of um, belief systems and religion how that can cause enormous trauma for those that are aware of this kind of thing happening and yet their family may be some particular reli religious denomination that doesn't acknowledge that this is a reality and you know even people within like we mentioned the defense department like jim semivan 
Um, they wake up in the middle of the night while they're in full service of, you know, the, you know, protecting the country and wake up middle of the night and there's three entities in their rooms. One thing that we've noticed, which is a pattern, is that everybody always sees three entities in their rooms or they come in pairs of three. Uh, even uh, Terry Lovelace was saying when he was pe- peeking out of the tent and he saw like, I don't know how many, like 25 or 26 uh, aliens or whatever they were all going up in pairs of threes and it's mm-hmm. just a, a recurring pattern that i i've noticed that in your study have, have you noticed that that number repeats have you noticed any common thread or common piece of evidence or a sighting that somebody's had that you you keep hearing within all these cases that you've had there are numerous ones where i take them into hypnosis and they may see three beings around the bed, but not always. Right. Sometimes they may, you know, they'll sense sense the presences of them or whatever. Um, and sometimes when they're taken on board craft, there's more than three. That might start off with three, but others come in of different species and what have you as well. So it really, it can be that, or, it, you know, some people have a different experience with that as well. But there are the many patterns are that, one of the things that I go into is the feeling and knowing. Um, uh, have you always felt different? Have you uh, ever felt that you didn't belong? Um, do you feel like you, you you know you've got a mission or a purpose on this planet? Some of these things they identify with, which is really quite fascinating. In that you know that the fact that they've not felt quite that they belonged here for some reason or another, and 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 the feeling of being different almost alien and some of them will say this isn't home (laughs) you know they'll say it's an home for me you know so my work has taken me to a place where the memories um, that some people have of coming from other planets and including the children you know I was talking to a 10 year old um, some time ago where he explained this is his first earth incarnation but he comes from a planet where he was blue and that he he remembers incarnate coming into his mother's body and talking about his mission here on this planet. And he said, I'm here to help with the, the pollution of this planet. So he had not only been aware that this was his first incarnation here, but also knew his mandate, why he'd actually come here, could was aware of um, seeing interdimensionally. He was aware of energy that he could do healing with. This is not unusual with a lot of the kids. This is what's so incredible is that I'm coming across these children all over the place, including other other cultures as well, where parents would write to me. Or I might have a a psychologist or a teacher who's seen and and recognizes these children and contacted me and said, you know, the, the educational system doesn't fit for them because they don't relate to a lot of the things that that you know the the other humans relate to if you know what I mean, yeah. and and one of the interesting ones is a twelve year old that explained to me that she's got this little special being that follows her around. Nobody else can see this being, but she said if I'm at school and the teacher's saying something inaccurate, this being will tell me it's inaccurate and tell me what the truth is. So I said, do you ever talk about this to your friends or whatever? Oh, she said no because they wouldn't understand. So you've got the, what I'm, I suppose I'm saying is, so many have multidimensional experiences, but you would never know it because they know it's not okay to talk about it. So a lot of the reasons I do these is to say, you know what? 
It is okay. And it's time that we did because disclosure, I believe, is going to happen from the ground up because if we wait for the governments to um, come out with the truth, we could be waiting until we've all gone to another plane of existence. Yeah, a very long time. Yeah. yeah. Very long time. You, you mentioned reincarnation and sort of the afterlife. And lately I've noticed, maybe it's just me, but that seems to be common among some prominent people. Like Leslie Kane is very much in both worlds, the UAP world, but also like in your death experiences and consciousness and you know, you meet people that are maybe related to us and sometimes they take a form and and Whitley Strieber, of course, is in that same realm as well. So I heard you mention it earlier in this episode. What are your thoughts on all that? Like, how does it all connect? Is is this really just sort of like our ancestors or us in the future or are these literally creatures coming from other planets? Is this interdimensional? If there is such a thing, like, how do you think all this ties together? Well, it's a really good question, and it's obviously a very complex one, and one yeah. that I've gradually tried to come to try and understand. Um, what I would say is that I believe consciousness is primary. What we're discovering with the research that we did with the Dr. Edgar Mitchell Free Foundation, which, you know, beyond UFOs, where we're looking at all the different range of experiences, including healing done on a craft, including near-death experiences and out-of-body experiences, that's followed through with the Consciousness and Contact Research Institute, where they've done a, a couple of books. And I'll just get this to show you, just to give you an idea of the thickness of oh, it. Oh, wow. This is the latest from um, the Consciousness and Contact Research Institute. My, my information's in there as well. A Greater Reality, the New Paradigm of Non-Local Consciousness and the Paranormal and Contact Modalities, Volume 1. There's going to be another three. So that, that will give that you for the listener, that book could kill a man. Right? And that's the answer to my question. Yeah. Like you want an answer here? There's a thousand and eighty pages to <laughs> to simplify well, it. it. It covers everything: reincarnation, out of body experience, astral travel, sham. What we've discovered is, and that's what I've been writing about more and more. We're talking about multidimensional contact, and we're talking about you can access these intelligences through out-of-body experiences, um, near-death experiences, astral travel, um, shamanism, a whole, you know, remote viewing and what have you. What we discovered when we did our first survey, which was Beyond UFOs, which is another book that thick, in Beyond UFOs, we discovered that 75% of those, and that was a 4,200 sur uh, people survey, 600 questions, we found 75% of contact is out of body. Only 25% is physical. Okay, so could, that, could you explain that a, a little bit more yeah. for us? What, what's the difference? Okay. Well, the difference is that your body, what we've discovered is with consciousness, we inhabit a, a physical container, but our consciousness is not tied to it. Right. And that's why we can astral travel and go out of body. Um, and lots of people have experiences where they're flying, for example, or whatever. But a lot of the experiences they have with these beings are not with their physical body. Only 25% of those surveyed had their physical body taken up as well. Okay. So 75% had their consciousness, soul, spirit, whatever name you want to give that aware conscious part of us that inhabits this physical container, but it doesn't, isn't tied to it, if you like, um, and astral travel, out of body, all of those things mean that our consciousness can go to onboard craft 
and even do tasks or have interactions or be educated. And it's our consciousness only. So the body can still be in the bed, but it it won't contain the soul because the soul or the spirit has gone to have an experience somewhere else. And that's why so many say, I had a dream where I was on a spacecraft. And what's interesting about the dream, when I say to them, most dreams, you forget within minutes or seconds of having them. But if you remember a dream 10 years down the track, it's most likely not a dream because you don't remember the average dream more than a few seconds or minutes, as I say. So that usually means that it was an experience, but these experiences are out of body in many cases. Getting back to the the complexity of this, and this is why the nuts and bolts um, way of looking at this in ufology has always found it difficult to put together is because we've got physical ETs, we've got non-physical, interdimensional, extra-dimensional, trans-dimensional, and um, visitors from our future. They're just some that I've identified and, and some others. So when you know somebody may say, well, I saw a very physical or I touched a really physical being, you know, a blue being or an eat, you know, a zeta being or whatever, or a humanoid, some will say it was an energy being or a light being. And for some that were, are religious, they'd say, well, I saw an angel. So a lot is about your perception and how you interpret from your perception. So as I say, if you're very religious, you might see a light being as an angel and say, I saw an angel or whatever. So we've got this whole range of intelligences, not only in the physical, but uh, dimensional and non-physical, higher dimensional and non-physical. And all of them can be misinterpreted. And often it's only the more open you are, the more you get more information on, oh, this one is is this. Um, And many are experiencing intelligences that are interdimensional. And that takes in spirits, of course, as well. So the more that you open up to this, and it may be that shamanism has woken you up to working in the this domain, or you've had out-of-body experiences where you start having interactions with these intelligences, or it, it is, <clears throat> you know, a healing that activates that, you know, or a kundalini awakening that activates that. All of them will finally lead you to these realms where you've got angel, you know, angelic beings, you've got religious figures, you've got spirits, you've got elementals, you've got interdimensional light beings, you've got um, gray beings, blue beings, feline beings. There's a whole gamut of intelligences that some are physical and some are not. And often the, the way into all of them is by opening up your psychic abilities. I often wonder, because there's a lot of, you know, reported species and entities of different kinds that people are having experiences with. The most common one is the greys, uh, you know, yeah. tall greys, little greys, whatever. And it, there's different ones. There's brown greys, supposedly that just sounds weird, yeah. brown greys, uh, and yeah. different colors. But I always wonder, because there's a lot of screen memory with a mm. lot of these um, cases, whether it's the brain that causes it because it can't compute what just took place or it's actually put there by these entities. But I often wonder if it's some sort of, of filter to diversify the experiences enough that there's no connection being made amongst what's taken place. 
Um, but you're right. Like a lot of these incidences are taking place to men and women, but there's got to be some commonalities that eventually we're going to be able to thread together and say, hey, wait a minute, this, you know, uh, do you have any theories as to how they're not bumping into each other? Like the amount of traffic that there must be, you know, they, they must bounce into one another once in a while, right? Well, first of all, screen memories. One of the things I've got in my questionnaire is, you know, fear of clowns, Santa Claus, skeletons, owls. All of these can be screens for an ET. Somebody um, very common um, who had an experience, they'll say, I was driving down the road and I saw this huge owl in front of me and I stopped the car and it was really weird because it didn't move. And it was huge. Often when you take them into hypnosis, and you get past the screen of the owl, there is, a, you know, is often a, an ET, a grey, or it's the owl outside the window, or it, it's um, somebody who's terrified of Santa Claus, and they, they've they never known why, and it was Santa Claus who came and visited them, but when you take away the screen, you get them look, to look beyond the screen, it's, it's often an ET, it's a grey, or it's a zeta. Right. So, you know, I'm, I'm often very intrigued when somebody's, you know, uh, even with the clown, a classic example of that was a young man who'd had didn't realize he was having an experience with ETs and his his motorbike stopped and he got off off the motorbike and he said um he said i'm seeing a clown right in the middle of the road early in the evening out of creepy. the blue. yeah and he said i'm seeing the shoes and i'm seeing all the things of a clown and then i said to him look again and when he looked again there was a gray so often they project something that you're familiar with. I think in, in a way, maybe in the hopes that you won't freak out, but if, um, because they don't want to show themselves in case you do. So they give you a familiar form. But the problem with that is then that the person having the experience will always be terrified of the clown or Santa Claus and not know why. Because right. part of it recognizes it's not what it is, what you're seeing. So those are the screen memories. There's some of the common ones. So if someone has a screen memory or always been scared of clowns or, you know, say Santa Claus, often it's an indicator that they've had some form of experience. And that's something that I look for. Well, I wanted to get your opinion on things like uh, the hitchhiker effect, not only for experiencers, but people who research it. And the reason I ask is I have a friend who's a remote viewer. He's been doing it for years and he's told me that he's actually helped other remote viewers deal with this hitchhiker effect, that even the trained ones and even the clairvoyant and the mediums and everything else, when you go there, you get stuff and weird stuff happens to you. And even though they don't freak out, they don't like it and they don't want it around and they have beings in their bedrooms. And, you know, so, you know, what are your thoughts on the whole hitchhiker <laughs> effect? Does that does it find you or do you find it? Well, that's an interesting question, isn't it? Do we create our reality right. is, is a bit of a question around that. Um, I have the feeling that the reason we get drawn into certain fields of study or interest or, you know, mystery is because it's relevant to us in some way. You know, that's why we, we, we get guided to it. It's like, you know, I, I've always been interested in the supernatural, weird and wonderful, right from a small child. I've always been a seeker of truth and what have you, always wanted to know more. Um, and so I think in a way that interest opens me up 
to the, you know, to more of that um, understanding and experience. Because you put it out there. I believe, you know, you put out the frequency of I'm interested in this. And, you know, the interesting thing with the, they say about the DNA is that they, um, they're like miniature wormholes that take you into more information on a particular subject. So you're actually using your DNA to access information on that frequency. And that's why, you know, I always say to people, you know, if you're pregnant, you notice suddenly everybody seems pregnant around you and what have you. You're putting out um, a frequency that draws that information to you. And I believe that if you're putting out a frequency, I'm interested in this, then often you find more and more information on that particular thing that you're interested in. And I think as researchers, we get drawn into it because in some way it might, it's part of our mandate, our mission, if you like, to understand more of that. And I've certainly experienced interesting things myself, which has helped me um, in many ways understand how it is for people who've, who've had some of these experiences. Because without that, I, I it would all be academic. And you need more than an academic understanding that is something about experiencing something, you know, and it's not just experiencing deja vu, it's it's experiencing energy, for example, which many people who learn healing techniques get to use and feel energy, for example. Also, um, insight, where you find this information suddenly in your head without any conscious learning. What is that? Well, my understanding is that often you're, you're being given information from other um, intelligences around you that want you to understand something because it will just come in. And there's been no, um, they said that people like um, Albert Einstein and many others, when they got their um, understanding was often in a meditative state where information would just be made available to them and what have you. And I absolutely concur that that seems to be the case for many people that when they're having interactions with these non-human intentions, whether they call it spirits, whether they call it an angel or whether they call it an ET, puts information and guides them often into um, understanding more of, of why they're here or what's important to them or whatever. So getting getting back to, to all of that, I think many, what I've discovered is many authors of books on this subject often have had an underlying interest in this whole subject without always realizing it, that, 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 that's, that that's the case. And for me, it was because I wanted to know what are the, what is consciousness? What are we, do we live, um, you know, many lifetimes, all of that. I was looking for information that would clarify that. Um, and one very interesting story was a young graphic designer when I was doing a regression with him. And he said to me, I'm seeing myself, in another form, Mary, I'm seeing myself as a, a, a kind of gray. And I said, oh, right. I said, so what are you doing? And he said, well, we're moving something big from one dimension to another. Now, the interesting thing with this one was before he said anything else, I got in my head, it's a planet. And he then says straight after that, oh, it's a planet and we've moved it too fast and it's messed up its energy. Now, how did I get that information before he actually articulated it? I don't know. I can't tell you that. It's All a big object, say. yeah. You know, and, and interestingly, I've heard accounts of this happening, that there are some intelligences that can move planetary bodies through dimensions. So, you know, 
that's what I'm looking for is added information to what I'm learning through hypnosis and through my clients. Right. Nikola Tesla, our, our boy, um, he said once that he was a receiver and that mm. the information that he would receive came from somewhere else. He said, we all have that. That's why artists paint what they paint and writers write what they write. The inspiration is there. You just got to receive it. And for men as smart as, as, as he was, or even uh, Isaac Newton, you know, mm -hmm. like just intelligent men, uh, Da Vinci, you know, like they, there's something there. They would receive something like there's, uh, and even some of the people that we've talked to that are all experiencers, they all come back with some sort of ability or they're all artists. They're all musicians. Like they've all accomplished things or written like, 62 books like it's just amazing what these people do and these are the same people claiming that these like they're they're not slackers yeah right they're, that's the thing about these experiencers is they're not none of them are slackers right they all seem to function at a higher let's just say consciousness than most other people a lot of people you know out there they're not as present as these people are if yeah. i can say it that way if that makes sense um but you know these people have something you know, yeah. and their experiences, it has something to do with that. How often do you come across that in your investigations? Is that like a commonality for you as well? Jason, it's a very good question. And one of the things, you know, as a therapist and researcher is what actually gives you tangible evidence that this is real? What is there out there? Because you can't bring, you know, they don't normally bring a piece of the craft back, you know, or whatever, which everybody's saying, well, why don't you, you bring something back or whatever to prove that you're having it? It's how they change after the experience. And there are enormous changes. They become more ecologically minded. They often change their diet. They change um, wanting to live more holistic lives. They seem to be very aware of a mission or purpose. They seem to have their intelligence upgraded and then you find them not only creating interesting music, they start maybe writing symbols or scripts. They may do incredibly complex and unusual artwork. They may be coming out with strange languages. All of these things manifest after contact. You can't dismiss that and say, well, it doesn't mean anything. When they're producing all of this expressions, as I call them, of, of ET contact, Apart from marks on their body and these kinds of things, which are, you know, more standard than anything, it's all these um, and their passion for certain subjects suddenly accelerates. Like they'll say, I just want to know everything about astronomy or I want to know everything about quantum physics. And one of the gentlemen that, that um, created the uh, Dr. Edgar Mitchell Free Foundation, along with myself, Dr. Rudy Shield and Dr. Edgar Mitchell, um, Ray Hernandez was an attorney. And he had an experience with his wife where he saw this energy being actually healed his dog. And he was a total atheist. He didn't believe in anything. He then had the mission that he needed scientists to explore this from, you know, from quantum physics right through to neuroscience to understand what is actually going on and became absolutely passionate in quantum physics. And part of it was also to create the organization that we created. So, that all happened after his experiences. Yeah, you we interviewed uh, Dr. Gary Nolan not too long ago, and <laughs> it, it just came to mind when you were mentioning this here. And he talked about the basal ganglia region of the brain. 
And when they do an EEG and see sort of waveforms, people that have yeah. had experiences or are very, <laughs> you know, sort of savant or very good yeah. at meditating, yogis, that type of thing, there's different neurons that are activated and different sort of synapses that have formed in parts yeah. of the brain, sort of that frontal lobe as well, your prefrontal cortex. Yeah. And for centuries and millennia, people have talked about your third eye. And then, yeah. you know, as science gets better, we're like, hey, we have a pineal gland there and there's piezoelectric crystals that are sensitive to vibration. So what are your thoughts on sort of the information of the ages and now science is getting there? And that is, in fact, evidence, but yet we still don't fully believe, right? Nobody's taken that and running with it and saying that's proof. But in effect, it is in a physiological form. One of the things that I've said coming in as a therapist, what has frustrated me more and more is the Cartesian way of materialism where nothing beyond there's nothing beyond our five senses, which is to me total crap. Yeah. Because the bottom line is that we we all have experiences beyond our five senses. Every one of us has the ability to tap into things, have a feeling, knowing, sensing. And unfortunately, what that's meant is that anyone having those experiences that articulates their having experiences, like they're seeing spirits or orbs or UFOs or whatever it is that they're seeing, in general psychological terms, it's most likely that it will be deemed in some way fantasizing or schizophrenic or all those other things. And I have met many that have been hospitalized because they're experiences. And they, you know, and, I, and one story in my book, Awakening, is a, a young lady of 19 that contacted me and she said, Mary, at four, I was having experiences. I told my doctor I was seeing aliens. He told me there was no such thing and that I was schizophrenic. She had this cocktail of medications that she nearly took to her life three times. And she said, I saw a talk show at 19 where they were talking about these experiences and now I know it's real. So she'd gone through all of that to finally come to an understanding that this is real. My biggest issue now is that we are now being told through more um, research, exactly the, the fact that we are more than our physical body, that we have these, you know, these, all these other senses, uh, you know, the psi abilities, whether clairvoyance, clairaudience, clairsentience, all those knowing, sensing, and, and what have you that people have, that they all part of consciousness. And now finally, we're getting, you know, institutes to look at what happens when you have a near-death experience or an out-of-body experience or a shamanic experience. All of these now are qualifying what the ancients have always talked about, right. that this is our greater reality. But it's been shut down, particularly in Western society, to be, you know, a psychological problem. Whereas in indigenous tribes right across the globe, we have, they accept absolutely that people can tap in to the non-physical world and and all the intelligences in it and they've they've talked about this forever it's just western society and this closed minded attitude that has been part of us for two or three hundred years now it's time to let that go and actually one of the reasons i showed you that latest book is because every single um chapter in that book is written by an academic or a PhD or a neuroscientist talking about how we can now understand we, that consciousness is primary and that we are far more than our physical body. Right. As far as like Australia goes, 
Um, I know there's a very rich history of UFO activity, abduction cases. Uh, as of late in the States, there's been a lot of cattle mutilations going through uh, several states at this point. How common is that in Australia? Because there's a lot of cows in Australia as well. So I'm just wondering, yeah. how often does that occur? It's a hard one, um, Jason, in one sense, is because a lot of farmers generally are not keen on drawing attention to themselves, you know. Right. Um, but I have heard of a few cases of cattle mutilations and crop circles, believe it or not. Um, and that's not well known that, that um, when I was part of the crop circles and contact here in Australia in 2006, we identified about 150 cases of crop circles then. And you don't ever hear about it, do you? No. It's only England and a little bit here and there, but mostly England. Um, but the, the farmers don't want to talk about it. They don't want the publicity and what have you. But certainly it's happened here, along with it, with um, the crop circles as well. It's just that here, you know, we're talking about we're almost as big as America. You know that, don't you? In yeah, it's Australia. a huge country. Yeah, we're a big country, and there's so much that isn't ever documented or commented on because of that. But I think it's a lot more common, perhaps, than we realize. Right. There's also that gap in between Australia, isn't there? Like a lot of desert because it's too hot to live in. So there's yeah, a lot of area. Right. There's a lot yeah, of area yeah. for the little buggers to hide, right? Well, it's amazing the size of the sort of, I won't say fan base, but kind of like, you know, there's just as many Australian UFO Facebook pages. Uh, in mm. fact, in terms of our demographic of audience, number one is the United States. Number two mm. is the UK. And our third largest audience is Australia. And we're Canadian and Canada's number four. So there's more people that listen to us in Australia, the UK and the US than in our own country. So I don't um, know if that's just a population thing. I don't know if it's maybe like in Australia, more conservative values from back in the day. People would think you're nuts. Some of our friends in the UK tell us the same thing. Like here, it's, you know, it's always been a little taboo, but you can have a conversation in North America with your buddies. In some parts of the UK, they can't even do that. Like your friends and family will literally think you're crazy. So it's a very difficult thing. So do you think particularly Australia is a little more tight lipped just because of that, that stigma? Because the numbers would show that there is just as many occurrences happening there, just as many yeah. abductees, all the same array, just but you hear less. Like, I think you're the second person from Australia we've chatted with, Ross Coltard and yourself. Yeah. And I think the numbers are a little bit lopsided that there should be more of a body. So what are your thoughts on that? I think that there are parts of Australia that are more open, a bit like in America. There are certain places like California is probably a lot more open than middle uh, middle um, US and what have you, where it's a lot more conservative. It's It's a little similar here. There are certain places I'm not far from what's known as the Sunshine Coast, north of Brisbane. There's a lot of an alternative community there and a lot of people will quite happily talk about this, for example. So it just there are pockets of openness and also whether there's been a lot of sightings or what in, in certain areas, you know, hot spots. Where I live in Agnes Water is a little tourist town, but there's been lots of sightings here. And there's quite a few in the population of this little town that have had experiences um, so from including sightings of Yowie, you know, yeah. you'd call him Bigfoot or, or Sasquatch, Sasquatch or whatever. Just, he's worldwide, that bugger. He's everywhere. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. 
Yeah. Oh, and the absolutely. aboriginals in Australia, they're also believers, right? Similar to North American aboriginals? Oh, yeah. Star people oh, and all that? Absolutely. I've got a lovely slide where it, it's from a, an, an indigenous elder artist, and she's got a, a drawing of the UFO and the, the little beings in green suits and what have you, saying how they come, and they've taught them where to find water, how to grow things, and all this kind of stuff. So they have no problem with it. And this is the... This is my issue with uh, modern psychology in the sense it's about time it got with the program and and uh, own the fact that we're more than our physical senses because so many people can't talk about this simply because they're afraid of the judgments, particularly of professionals. Even having said that, though, I have many clients that are clinical psychologists. I have a few that are psychiatrists and quite a lot of medical doctors that have had experiences. In fact, one medical doctor is a lovely gentleman who has worked and helped about 21 experiences because he believed them. Um, and this is what I find really heartening, that there are some that you know, follow their intuition and are open minded enough to look into it. And and that in itself is very, you know, it's it's wonderful to know that at least some people get can go to those sources and get help. But it's a it's a dodgy thing to do because you don't know if you're going to be safe talking about this or not. And what's Australia's like political aspect right now on UAPs, UFO, like as a country, because here in Canada, we had recently trudeau yeah. announced that we had shot down a ufo uh, the mm -hmm. states since then have said no they're they're chinese balloon but our prime minister has not said nothing he hasn't recounted anything he hasn't said chinese balloon it was a ufo we shot it down um but as far as australia because we're, we're hearing a lot of stuff right now from australia it's not always good news what's happening to you guys happening to us here as well and i'm just wondering like is there any political movement towards disclosure on because it's such an important continent it's such an important country jason what i would say is there's nothing official that's come out at all but there has been a series just released by channel seven um ufos down under that was shown in the uk and now shown here a series of six um episodes the media has shifted even if the you know the the officials haven't um, come out and said anything about it I've certainly noticed a lot more openness and acceptance in the media. And that's been very heartening because I remember a, a few years ago, um, always tongue in cheek when they interviewed me and what have you. And it was, you know, lots of really interesting things. I, I, I This will make you laugh. I was doing a breakfast show once after my mum talked to aliens and one of the presenters um, in, we had them on, we're sitting on these tall stools and she was sitting opposite me. And um, it was a breakfast show. And she said to me, and I was wearing my suit, my, you, you know, to look professional, obviously. And she said, Mary, you're sitting there and you look just like my GP. I'm almost inclined to believe you. So my suit obviously did it. <laughs> Dressed to impress. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Impressed because I look normal. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. I wanted you to ask you, Mary, if people are uh, interested in your work and they want to know what you got coming on in the future, or how they can get more involved if they are Australian and you're one of the many people that listen, you're talking to your own people now. So where can they find out more about you and the good things you're doing? Well, my website is a cern.com.au, which is Australian Close Encounter Resource Network. Um, I'm also on Facebook, um, also on Telegram as well. The other way is that I will be speaking at the Paradigm Shift in on the Sunshine Coast 
17th to 19th, I think it is, in June. But the big one I'm doing is the Awakening Expo in Manchester, 25th to 27th. Um, and that's a big one. That's uh, three days, big hangers and all sorts of amazing people are going to be speaking there. Um, uh, that They're the main ones, really, that um, I do a lot of smaller talks here and there as well. Amazing. Jason, do you have anything further for Mary? Do you know, just one last question. Uh, mm. What advice would you give investigators or new investigators or people that want to delve into the subject and actually contribute in some way? What advice would you give for those of us trying to get into it and study it further? I think trust your intuition to start with and, and let that guide you a little bit, because if you're really interested, you'll be guided to the interesting books. The ones that I've shown you are the latest in terms of research because it's taking it to a whole new level beyond UFOs, for example, and this later on, the greater reality. What it's doing is giving us now um, data and information from our surveys that are really helping us to understand, for example, that the majority of beings people see are actually humanoids, not greys. 56% are humanoids and I think 54% are greys. This is data that's finally giving us an understanding um, from hundreds of uh, and, and thousands of experiences that is helping us understand what it is that we're experiencing and to get an understanding of what are the agendas? What does it mean for humanity? What is our connection to it? All those big questions. And there's some amazing books out there that will help guide you. But also, I think the thing that's taught me the most about this has been the experiences themselves because they're on the ground, they experience it, and their understanding, I think, is the most powerful of all. Amazing. Well, thank you for doing what you do. I'm sure the people that you've helped, some 3,500 cases, I think that's more than anybody we've ever spoken to, and we talked to just that's about everybody in MUFON, yeah. and you're one person, right, with a, a team. So uh, keep doing what you're doing. It's amazing. We really appreciate your time. Let's have you back one day and do a bit of a deeper dive on... Uh, maybe one or the other. And, uh, you know, let, let's peel back the layers of the onion, but uh, we've really enjoyed it. Thank you for uh, giving us your afternoon and our evening. We uh, crossed the pond with each other, but uh, we had a lot of fun. So thank you. Blast. Okay. Thank you so much. Thank you both. It's been an absolute pleasure. Take care.